Proverbs chapter 21, I want to begin in verse 17. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness and honor. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name, he acts with arrogant pride. The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? A false witness shall perish, but the man who hears him will speak endlessly. A wicked man hardens his face, but as for the upright, he establishes his way. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we just recognize that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We recognize that you are an amazing creator. Those of us that know you, Lord, are so blessed to have you as our Savior and as our Father. And we ask God now as we study your word that you would teach us, Lord, and that you would give us all the things you want us to hear. We thank you that you never give up your effort to change us and to make us more Christ-like, to make us into the disciples you've called us to be. We pray, Lord, that you would use these verses to that end to make us and fashion us in the likeness of Christ. We ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning. He would convict and comfort and encourage in all the things that he does so well. We yield our hearts to you now. Speak to us. We're listening. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Proverbs, as we've seen, uh, is a book of wisdom. It's a supernatural book of wisdom. Uh, It's from God. It it's, was revealed to different writers, mostly Solomon, uh, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's practical, very practical, related to how we should live our daily lives. One time someone told me that the Bible wasn't very practical. I just laughed. I'm like, it, could, it can't get any more practical than what it is. It's so applicable to today. And think about it. You have 40 authors over, you know, thousands of years, different uh, backgrounds and all these things. And they have this theme going all the way through it about God's love for mankind and God's redemptive plan for mankind. And and it's so practical. And it's full of wisdom, as we've seen. And I just want to kind of reiterate and review with us a little bit related to what we had already covered related to the importance of 
wisdom and the emphasis that this book of wisdom has on valuing wisdom. And we don't talk a lot about wisdom in our culture. It's not a word that you hear a lot on, for sure, on sitcoms, on, in entertainment, and you don't hear a lot about wisdom, but it's so, so valuable. As we saw chapter after chapter after chapter at the beginning of the book of how important wisdom is and how much we should value it. It's so valuable. It's, it's the things that we most value in life couldn't be enjoyed without knowing the wisdom on how to enjoy those things, how to manage those things, how to, to take care of them and be good stewards of those things, the relationships that we have, that we treasure. We couldn't know the wisdom that God has for us and how to enjoy those, those relationships and to properly uh, engage those relationships apart from God's wisdom. And wisdom isn't merely knowledge. It is knowing something, but it's not merely knowledge. It's knowledge rightly applied. And so we see in this book just how we can properly apply knowledge. We want to gain knowledge, and that's great. God wants us to to grow in our knowledge and everything, but he wants us to know how to apply it. And he has a word. I don't know if you remember when we studied before in the book of Proverbs, um, this word that encapsulates a person that does not or refuses to apply that knowledge in the form of wisdom, and that is a fool. We see it over and over again. A fool is not someone that's intellectually lacking necessarily at all. There's people that are very intelligent that are fools. They just don't appropriate what they're supposed to do, the knowledge that they have. They don't put it into practice, and and that's one of their main characteristics in Scripture is someone that is disobedient to what they know to do. They go against what they know to do. So often we know what we should do. We just refuse to do it. I mean, I know this is all theory for us. You know, this is not, this is Calvary Chapel Manteca. We don't, we don't struggle in these areas. I'm just kidding. But, you know, we're, we're just like everybody else. We fall short. We know what we should do and we don't do it. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans, about how the things I know to do, I don't do. And the things that I do that I shouldn't do, I, you know, he's like, gets in this, it's hard. For, I remember the first time reading that, just going, what did he just say? And I had to read it like 10 times to finally get it. But he battled with that. And he said, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because in our members, in our flesh, in our sinful nature, we have a propensity and just a leaning towards wickedness. It's just how we were born. We were born that way. We were born fallen. We were born fallen creatures that, that need redemption. So you don't have to be uh, intellectually lacking, um, but you, you, if you want to be a fool, just don't do the things that you're supposed to be doing. And one of the main characteristics is laziness that we see in the book of Proverbs related to fools. But there's many other characteristics related to, to, to fools in the scriptures besides laziness, but that's one of them. Now, the danger related to us, I mean, we wouldn't consider ourselves necessarily lazy. We always think laziness is, is usually in the context of work. You know, if I, if I don't refuse to get a job, I refuse to, you know, do those types of vocational things that I need to do to supply sustenance for myself and my family, then I'm lazy. But lazy can actually be related to other things that are not related to our vocation. 
It could just be related to doing the right thing. You know, someone uh, does something against me. I know scripture clearly says that I need to forgive them. That God has a very low tolerance for unforgiveness in his people. But yet, I'm, I just, I'd rather not. So I just don't. That could be laziness as well. Or to do the things that we're called to do that he puts on our hearts to do and we don't do it. And when we're told in scripture, that's sin. You know, and so laziness has a lot of different forms. And there's a danger to reading God's word and, and having the wrong kind of attitude or heart as I'm listening or listening the, for the wrong uh, things or the, for the wrong reasons. We can listen to God's word or read God's word and have a pursuit of intellectual knowledge. We want to know the Bible, and that's a great thing. But so often we can read it or listen to a teaching or whatever, and we're actually listening for things that we agree with, and we feel good about ourselves if we agree with those things, and we think that's all that God is wanting from us is to be on the right, pay, right side of truth. And that he is wanting us to be on the right side of truth. But there's something infinitely greater in how he measures and how we should measure our spiritual maturity. And that's not just us agreeing with Scripture. That, James would refer to that as hearing only, just hearing his word only. But it also includes doing it, being a doer of God's word, applying knowledge, which is what we do when we appropriate wisdom correctly, is we actually put it into practice. So we have to measure ourselves and our spiritual maturity the way God does, mainly. And that is how we are obeying Scripture and how we're not obeying Scripture. Now, the beautiful thing, and I want to read to you from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. The great thing is that how, how James referred to it in, in his illustration here. He says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets the kind of man he was. But he, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, that's the key word, continues in it, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. See, we want to be blessed in all that we do, but we don't necessarily want to uh, engage in prosperity the way God says that we need to be engaged in prosperity. And his definition of prosperity is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. That's prosperity. And that leads to many other things, but that's the main crux of what prosperity is, is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. It's very simple, but yet hard to follow. And that's why we need God's word as a mirror. And that's why I love the illustration in, in James there of the mirror because the mirror gives a current snapshot of, of how you look in the morning. When you got up this morning, I don't know if you looked in the mirror, um, but if you looked in the mirror and you didn't like what you saw, you're seeing a current snapshot of how you looked at that moment. And that's how God's word is supposed to be related to us assessing our spiritual maturity and our need for growth and areas to work on because we're looking at a present tense situation at the moment. When we listen to God's word, we need to, or read God's word, we need to ask, am I doing this right now? I may have done it for years or weeks or last, last month or whatever, but currently, right now, am I doing it? And that we have to train ourselves to, to listen to God's word being taught or reading God's word or other things related to our present tense condition of how we are. 
So we have to to recognize, we're looking at Proverbs again, we're looking at wisdom, we're looking at how we should live our our lives, our daily lives right now, and we need to be looking at how does this line up with my life right this minute, and especially not listen related to what other people, oh, it's great that they're in this room because they really need to hear this, you know, ever listen to sermons for someone else? You know, it's really easy to do. Oh, man, first person that comes to my mind is that other person. I'm glad they're here. I hope they're listening. No, we need to be listening to it for ourselves. We need to be listening to it right now. How am I, how am I um, obeying this right now? Because, again, what matters is what we're obeying in the moment, at currently. And if we do that and we put it into practice, those things that we need to change, then we will live the blessed life that God intends. So let's look at our verses here. Look at verse 17. He begins with, he who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. There's so much related to prosperity and doing things right and living the abundant life. A lot of it has to do with, with self-denial and, and doing the hard, necessary things in life. Now, for us as believers, that starts with taking up our cross daily and following him. To recognize in the morning when you wake up, or in the afternoon or evening, whenever you wake up, whatever shift you're on or whatever, you know, that, that God is the one that's overseeing my life. Jesus is the one that has called me to, to deny myself, take up my cross daily and follow him, whatever he wants for me for that day. And it ultimately goes back to his plan is the best plan. My plans, as good as they can be, are never going to be superior to his plans for my life because his plans have to do with eternity, his plans have to do with others, and his plans have to do with blessing him. And so we have to recognize that that's what God's aiming at. And so this here he's saying, he who loves pleasure will be a poor man. It's talking about, it's not that we can't enjoy things. You know, James also says every good and perfect gift is from above. God, we can enjoy things fine. It's talking about enjoying things to the neglect of the things that we should be about or to to things that we should have as our focus or our foundation. No, Jesus said no one can have two masters. No one can love God and money. We have to be able to have a foundation of who's first in my life. God has to be first in my life. And so wine and oil represented wealth, and especially in that culture. Not anybody could have wine and oil and all those things. That was a luxury. And he's saying he who loves those things, uh, in other words, seeks after these things to the neglect of what's really important, those, those people will not be rich. We can't set our hearts on things that God has called us not to set our hearts on. We have to set our hearts on him and what he has for us. So it's very important um, that we see that. One writer said, the love that is here portrayed must be excessive and uncontrolled because it brings one to poverty. Perhaps other responsibilities are being neglected or the people are trying to live above their means. And that's so emblematic and illustrative of our society of living above our means. You know, right now we're in the middle of the shopping time and everybody who's trying to get the deals and all of that. And, and there's, there's, I mean, that's great. We, need to, we want to bless people. We want to enjoy the holiday season and everything. But there's such a, a desire in, in all of us. Uh, and it's, it's so prevalent in our society that we need to do whatever it takes to get these things. And we never, 
at all. Like, it'd be the last, that'd be the nightmare of, to just wait and have delayed gratification and, um, you know, be responsible in those things. We want it now, we want it fast, and we'll do whatever shortcut it takes to get the things that, that we want, and um, that's not what God's called us to be engaged in. So, you know, when you, when you, God knows if we're seeking after something in an unhealthy way, it's going to take our focus off the things we're supposed to have our focus on. And so we're trying to kind of take the shortcut to get these things, but he says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. All the things that the Gentiles seek after, he talked about, what we're going to wear, what we're going to, you know, all these things, these material things, which he knows we need. He says, he said there that he knows what we need before we ask. So he knows we need those things, but we have to seek after God first. So it's very important that we see that um, we can't seek after those things. We have to seek after God. Verse 18 says, the wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. What does that mean? Well, it likely means that instead of the righteous and upright getting judgment in the end, the wicked and unfaithful will be judged instead. Because we don't get what we deserve as Christians. Now, people always say, you hear them say sometimes, you know, that's not just, that's not fair. You don't want what's fair. I don't want what's fair. If we got what was fair, we would get the eternal lake of fire. And so God has given us as Christians forgiveness and he, we, we're not given what we deserve. And, and so we live a righteous life. We live the things by his grace and by his power that we're called to do and, and be about and all those things. And, and in the end, the wicked will not win. And we, it's, it, there's a mirage, and we think that the wicked is going, they're going to win. It seems like they're winning at everything. But there's an end to it. That's what we don't think about all the time. The people that are wicked, there's going to be a day of reckoning. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's going to happen. And so he says, the, and this, this is supposed to encourage us that the wicked, isn't, they're not going to win in the end. They're not going to have the final say. And our emotions and our thoughts can scream to the contrary, can't they? <laughs> you know, just, this, you know, there's, this, they're just so powerful and they they have all the things in this life and I'm struggling and I'm can't I don't have two you know coins to rub together and I'm doing my best and they're prospering and they're cheating people and they're ripping people off and all these things and we, it just appears that they're they're just there's we're going to lose in the end but we never lose in the end we all first of all they don't have the peace that we have we forget that they they have quiet moments and you, know, you see people so often that are that are famous or wealthy or all these things and um, and they don't they're they're ungodly they don't know the Lord and and they're addicted to drugs they're engaged in all these vices these things to 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 try to medicate their pain and their loneliness and their emptiness and all these things all the wealth and all the power and all those things were supposed to take care of all that but it didn't so they're paying you know thousands of dollars a month to psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors they're taking medication they're doing all these things to handle life they were never intended to have abundant life apart from God and they're suffering as a result of it we don't see a lot of those things we just see what's on the outward and so there there are no shortcuts and and the wicked are not going to win in the end God's called us to be faithful he's called us to be righteous and we will never ever lose out on anything worthwhile 
doing that. I mean, that was the, the, the lie to, to Eve and, and Adam and Eve, that they, that they were going to miss out on something, that God was holding out on them, something that they, they should have. That was the temptation that, that Eve fell for. And then Adam was just loving his wife more than he loved God. And when he wasn't deceived, he was really just, you know, ignorant or stupid or whatever, however you want to word it, foolish, um, and didn't follow through with, with what God told him to do. Verse 19, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Now I'm going to start a 45-part series on this starting today. Just kidding. Um, there's enough blame to go around. There's angry and contentious men. Uh, amen, women? That, that, that they exist out there? Yeah. See, you're, you're in agreement with me. But, um, you know, this guy started, you may remember in the Proverbs, he started out in the house. He ended up on the roof top. <laughs> Better to dwell on the corner of a roof than with a contentious woman. Now he's out in the wilderness. So he's, it's, like, it's like this progression here. And the wilderness um, in Judea was not the woods you know it wasn't like I'm around a bunch of sequoias and it's you know it's and it's nice and it's very mild climate or whatever the wilderness was the desert the desert has extreme temperatures super hot super cold at night and all of that there's all kinds of creatures out there and I mean if you're into snakes maybe you'd like that but there's snakes and scorpions and all these things and and this guy is saying it's better to live out there than to live with a contentious and angry woman. Contentious and angry means a woman of contentions and vexation. And, and that's, I mean, before it was just contentions. Now it's angry. Now it's, you add it on top of the contention, someone that likes to argue or wants to argue all the time with someone that's angry. Uh, and, you know, it's important for us to recognize that God calls us to be patient. He calls us to communicate well uh, and to not do things that are going to stir things up and be contentious. I want to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 3, and this is specifically to the wives here, and I'll get to the men in a minute, but it says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And that's ultimately what we all need to think about is how does God see my heart? How does God see what comes out of my mouth? How does God see how I treat people, especially my spouse? How do I treat my kids? All those things. That's, I mean, we can clean toilets in church. We can sacrifice and man hours doing all kinds of construction stuff. We, you know, that's great service and God sees all of that. But how do I treat my family? How do I treat my spouse? How do I talk to them? What tone of voice do I use? Um, do I let things build up and build up until they overflow in rage and all of that? And men, we can be the same way. We can have a very short fuse, and we can just be contentious all the time and nitpick every little thing. Both of us, both men and women uh, c- can do that very easily. To, to always notice the wrong thing, the thing that's wrong, the thing, and I'm, I'm guilty, trust me. But what God's called us to, to be is someone that's encouraging, that builds people up. Sometimes it's sad where the spouse 
another person's spouse, it gets built up the least out of all the people that they know. Out of all the people they know, they build their spouse up the least. Compliment them the least. Don't encourage them the least. Out of all the people that they know. Ladies, you have an incredible influence over your spouse and men in general. And, and men really want their spouse's approval. They really do. Because what they need is someone in the marriage that looks up to them, that honors them, that uh, sees them as, as so important to them and all of that. And if you're contentious and, and, and angry all the time and all these things, and I know that men give you plenty of opportunity. Okay, I'm not, trust me, I'm, I, I know myself. But, you know, here in that one that I read here about wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without fear may be won by the conduct of their wives. That's even going to the point of an unbelieving husband. And he says, you're, you're supposed to be doing the right thing even if they're an unbeliever. How, and what capacity does an unbeliever have to be all the things that God wants them ultimately to be? Not very much capacity. So we can rise above all those things. We can rise above. We can have God's grace and God's power come in and supernaturally compensate for our situation and what's going on. And we can turn the other cheek. We can walk the extra mile. We can be gracious. We can forgive. I mean, if we're supposed to bless our enemies, how much are we supposed to bless our spouse? Sometimes you're like, well, that's the same thing today. Um, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to love and all those things. And, and one of the things that it's important to understand is, for all of us, is um, to just know ourselves enough to know when we're going down the wrong path related to our mood. How, what, you know, are we irritable? Are we, you know, just to know all those things, to know kind of the situations. Now, if you've been married for any length of time, you usually are f- pretty familiar with, okay, I need to get her food. <laughs> I need to get her food right now, or I need food right now, or whatever. Um, but to be circumspect, to be thinking, you know, how am I, what's my heart doing right now? What am I thinking about? What's bothering me? And be aware that when I'm in that mode and I'm not submitting myself and my heart to the Lord to help compensate for that, now I've created an environment where I'm, I've, I've made it easier for things to go the wrong direction related to my speech and what I say and how I treat people and all of that and sometimes we just need to get out of the situation and go pray spend some time with the Lord until we're back under the control of the Holy Spirit and then go back into that situation and it's just a habit a habit of knowing myself enough to know when I'm in that position and knowing that I need to go and admit that I'm I'm getting to the point where I could be you know saying some things that I don't want to say doing some things I don't want to do, and I'm going to go away and spend some time with him and let him change my heart because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. You and I as believers have access to unlimited self-control and unlimited godliness if we appropriate those things and ask him for those things in the moment and in, and in general. We have the capacity to be as godly as we want to be because we just have to ask him for that power and that strength and that capacity to be able to do it. We should never raise our voice to anybody unless we need to get out of a situation, you know, we're calling for help, you know what I mean, but in a, in a kind of a confrontation or whatever, we should never raise our voice to anybody. If we're raising our voice, we're way down the road of being out of control than, than we may think. And it doesn't matter how long you've done it or I've done it or how much they're used to it or whatever, we can change right now and we can 
say, I want to just do the right thing. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent of this and I'm going to uh, go to God when I'm feeling tempted or whatever. And I'm going to let him uh, come in and compensate supernaturally. So very important. We don't want to, we don't want to, to influence people the wrong way and to do damage to people. I mean, how many times have people had one little thing happen and it changed the course of their life and someone else's life because one moment of rage or one moment of saying something that really wounded them and hurt them and they didn't recover for years and years and years. That's what's at stake. We think there's not that much at stake. There's a lot at stake at any given time, in any given moment. Verse 20. There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise but a foolish man squanders it. So here we go back to the foolish man. Doesn't, we don't have to wait very long until he's already talking about fools again, foolish people. And it, it's, this is all talking about uh, things that fools desire. They want a lot of things. There's a lot of dreamers out there that never want to do the required hard necessary things to be able to accomplish those things. Again, he talks about an oil in the dwelling of the wise. Oil is, again, a sign of wealth in that culture. But a foolish man squanders it. Isn't it sad when people squander money? You know, when I was 17, I was the poster boy for this. Um, (laughs) My mom passed away, and about a year later or so, I got $17,000 in inheritance. Now, that's a lot of money now, but in um, 1988... That was probably like thirty or $40,000, somewhere in there. I spent in about eight months partying and doing all kinds of horrible stuff. Wasted, squanders it. I was a complete fool. My sisters were doing, were doing gymnastics, trying to keep that from happening um, and, and trying to influence me, and I just I wouldn't listen. And I just wasted it. And I could have invested that. I could have, there's a lot of things I could have done with that. And it just reminded me of, of myself. But you know, there's people that win the lottery and they, I mean, most people that win the lottery, that win a lot of money, they, they spend it all and they, and it ruins their life. And so often there's reasons why God doesn't give us a lot of money. Sometimes we don't have the character to handle it and it will ruin us if we have it. And, and, and so that's the idea here is, is that the fool has this ongoing desire for treasure but doesn't want to do anything responsible to earn it but then when they get it they squander it and they're not good stewards you know God's called us to be stewards or managers of his money it's not just the amount that he's called us to give to his work that's his it's all of our money is his and if, if you gave all your or you gave money to somebody to manage and they didn't manage it well you're not going to be in a hurry to give them more that's just how it works. And, and, and so often we, we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling and all that. There's many reasons why we can be struggling, both legitimate and illegitimate. But if we don't, we have to recognize he gives us these things to not waste these things. He's called us to be very responsible with his money. Verse 21. He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. Now, you may not expect to get these. We know that righteousness probably begets more righteousness. We might think that. But we're not normally going to be thinking that if I follow righteousness and mercy, that I'm going to find life and honor. But that's true. That's what it says. The verse clearly says you're going to find life, righteousness, 
and honor. Now, in this culture, they say that, you know, righteousness, our definition of righteousness leads to oppression, leads to not not much fun in life and leads to a horrible life not having any fun and all these things and here he says righteousness leads to true life God's definition of true life that's all that matters is what does God say true life is the abundant life that he uh, talks about and that happens by righteousness and mercy mercy is not giving people what they deserve Not giving people the bad things that they deserve. Letting them off the hook. Forgiving them. Be merciful. Overlooking many things that are wrong and blessing them and all these things. That's that's how God is with us, right? God's merciful to us. He's loving to us. We have to be merciful and loving to others. That's one of the ways that we show our appreciation for those things. Is how we're merciful and, and, and righteous back to people. So you... You, uh, you get more than you put in, in a sense. And that's kind of true with all farming. You, you, you sow one seed, you get a tree that has many different seeds in the, that are in, in, you know, encapsulated in fruit. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap way more than what you sow. If, you know, it's true in many different ways. That's how he set up sowing and reaping, is that you always get more of the thing than what you sow. And that's why he says here, you, you follow righteousness and mercy. Those are two things. But then you find life, righteousness, and honor. Those are three things. And, and I would say more, way more than that that you receive as a result of it. It's beautiful. So always, always pursue righteousness. Pursue mercy. Pursue those things that are like the Lord and, and that bless him when we engage in those things. You know, it's good to remind ourselves that he sees everything that we do. Everything. You know, people say again, if they don't say, I want, you know, that I want justice for me, they'll say, well, God knows my heart. <laughs> That's not a good thing. You know, our hearts are evil. Our hearts are wicked. He sees every evil thought. He sees every evil motivation. He sees all the things that we, no one else knows are going on inside of us. He sees all of those things. And, and so, you know, he's, he says those things are important for us to let him be the Lord of, and all of that. Now he says, verse 22, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. And this really has the idea of, of casting down false confidence of someone's own fortress or the things that they trust in that they shouldn't be trusting in. A wise man can take care of those things. And he's talking about a wise man scales the city. Well, cities, how do you, if you were to scale Manteca, how would you do it? Well, we don't have cities the way that they had cities. They had walls that went around the city that protected the city. So they would scale those walls. They had to get past those walls unless God just made them crumble, like in the instance of Jericho. But they had to get through that wall somehow because the gates were very, very hard to penetrate. So sometimes they go over walls to get into the city. And so the idea here is this wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. And again, the idea is false security, false trusting in something that they shouldn't trust in. A wise man sees those vulnerabilities that are there and knows how to overcome them and knows how to... um, 
you know, get past those things that people are, are, shouldn't be trusting in, but they do. You know, God calls us to, as believers, to do the appropriate, extremely difficult, but necessary things in life. And too often in our culture, we, and our flesh is like this too, our sinful nature, we take the path of least resistance. It's very easy. We don't, you know, we don't want to do hard, necessary things. The hard, necessary thing in this instance, in verse 22, was the man needed to scale the city. And he did, and he knew how to do it. For us, it could be many different things that are obstacles in our lives that God's called us to tackle and to go after and all those things, but it's going to require perseverance. It's going to require godliness. It's going to require doing things the how he's called me to do those things and the way that he's called me to do those things. And, and we can't give up. We can't take the path of, of least resistance. You know, sorry to lose myself as an illustration again, but when I was young, I didn't have any discipline. I hated discipline because I hated pain. I didn't want to do those hard things because I didn't like pain. What I didn't realize is that I'm going to have pain either way. If I don't do the things that I need to do, then I'm going to have the pain of reaping the, the consequences of that. So either way, I'm going to have pain. And it was like this big revelation to me. I need to choose my pain. I need to choose the right pain to get the things that I should have or want to have and all of that. And it's the same way with us. We have to do the hard, necessary things. There are no shortcuts. Our ministries will never rise above our personal devotional lives, our time with him. We're not going to be spiritual giants if we're spiritually starving. If we starve ourselves and we wonder, why am I spiritually weak? Well, it's possible, and I know it's been true in my life many times when I realize that I've been very, very weak, is that my intake, my spiritual intake hasn't been what it needs to be. And so sometimes we think, well, you know, I've, I've always had this much time with the Lord, and that's kind of what I'm used to and all that, but yet he's called us to something so much more difficult and harder, and we haven't even compensated by taking having more spiritual intake. And, and we wonder why we're struggling. We have to have more spiritual intake to be able to do more difficult, um, hard things. And, and, and that's, what, that's the key. Last week we looked at ventures of faith. We looked at all these difficult things that God has called his people all through the history of, of how he's dealt with man to do very difficult ventures of faith. That didn't happen by people resisting communing with him. That happened by them engaging him. I mean, think about all the times when you read through with Moses and you would just go be alone in a separate tent. He would just be alone all the time. Those things are just peppered through the verses and the chapter and all of that. And we don't realize how significant those things were. He was getting so much from the Lord at that time. All that intake was happening. So the first thing we need to look at if we're dry, especially in the context of doing something difficult, is how's my spiritual intake right now? How's How's my communion with the Lord? If your life is getting more and more difficult, you need to increase your spiritual intake. And, and again, the smallest amount of doing that can make such a difference in our lives. And, and, and again, you always reap more than what you sow, no matter what it is. And, and so it, it's beautiful. That's been the key many times to different seasons of, of, of life that I've experienced. Verse 23. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Ouch. Where's all the convicting verses? I can't find any here. 
<laughs> he whoever guards his mouth and tongues keeps his soul from troubles. Not just your tongue, your mouth and tongue. I can get in trouble with my mouth even without using my tongue. I don't know about you. I need both of those things under the control of the Spirit. I mean, I can grunt and moan and do all kinds of things disrespectfully. I don't even need my tongue. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But, but notice he says it keeps his soul from troubles. I don't know if you saw that. Keeps his soul. It affects my soul. See, ultimately, my mouth and my tongue and all those things... They're an overflow of my heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I don't ultimately have a a tongue problem or a mouth problem. I ultimately have a heart problem. You know, I'm in an environment on a regular basis where I'm around unbelievers and they're not supposed to be saying anything that's, you know, would rock the boat or any profanity or anything controversial or whatever. And they cannot stop with profanity. They try so hard and they apologize around me, you know, and okay, great, you know. Um, but it's just, I want to tell them, it's just in your heart. It's not a mouth problem. It starts here, you know, and it's the true with, with myself as well, you know. But let me go down just a short little list here. Cursing, complaining, ooh, cussing, gossiping, slandering, dirty jokes, tearing down, foolish talking, not building others up, not speaking with thankfulness. All that is sin. I just love with how our culture is going further and further down, I just love the clarity of God's word. Because that's taken from many different scriptures. I want to read you a few. James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but receive, deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Matthew 12, 36, as I said, uh, Jesus talked about this. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So again, we don't have a mouth problem, we have a heart problem. And he says, whoever guards, notice the word guards there, whoever it's like it has to be under guard. It's something that is out, it can be so out of control and has to be guarded because it is so powerful and can act so fast that before you know it, it's already done damage. That's something that you guard. So, and, and again, it'll affect, we don't do it, it'll affect our soul from troubles. If we don't guard our tongue, it'll, we will have more troubles on a, from our, in our souls than, than beyond what we may think would be typically what I would receive uh, as a result of it. Very important. Verse 24. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. So first the tongue, now pride. Um, Yeah, it's convicting, I know. And again, it's in all of us. And it's just, as it's been said, one of the first things that pride does is it blinds us to our own pride. 
It incapacitates us to be able to see it in ourselves. That's why we have to have the power of God's word working in our lives and godly friends that are willing to speak up and say, you know, why did you do that? It looks like this, you know, not sin sniffers or people trying to play the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about biblical exhortation to be able to check ourselves because we can be in the middle of that and, and we don't even realize it. And notice his name is scoffer there. Scoffer is a mocker or someone that scoffs at God and God's word and all of that. And, and it's so permeated, this person, it has encompassed his whole person to where it's just his name. Not John, not Dave, but his name is Scoffer. I mean, if we had name tags, it would say Scoffer. You know, uh, that's, that's me, I'm Scoffer. Um, but that's how God sees him. That's, he's, he's so encompassed who he is with that, that he, God just says Scoffer is his name. And he acts with arrogant pride. Pride is to see myself above. And so we need to see ourselves as God sees us. That's the most accurate view, right? And he, he says that we're sinners, that we fall short every day. That the standard is perfection and we fall short every day. And God's called us to see uh, our, us as just as sinful and just the same as everybody else. We're still falling just like everybody else. And we need to recognize that. We need to humble ourselves because if we don't humble ourselves, God has a very effective way of doing that. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. God can humble us pretty effectively. Verse 25. The desire of the lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all day long. But the righteous gives and does not spare. Beautiful. See, the desire of the lazy man kills him. Is he refuses. Notice the word refuse there, to labor. Paul said if a man will not work, he will not eat. He doesn't say if a man cannot work, he won't eat. He says if man will not work, he will not eat. If you are able to work and you refuse to, then you're going to receive the consequences of that but the lazy and he's talked about this in other places in the in the book that we've seen the lazy again has all these dreams and he he covets what does covet mean covet means having an ungodly desire for more or having a desire for something that it's not for me to have even if someone else can have it but for me and whatever what I'm in the middle of my my temptations or my background or whatever or what my ministry and what I'm engaged in I cannot have that God's put those very clear uh, boundaries in my life I have to recognize that if I desire for those things that I'm involved in covetousness this is what nailed Paul finally got him to see that he couldn't trust in the law for righteousness is because it was one of the things that was really out um, inward that wasn't outward that no one could know and he knew he was guilty Uh, related to that but he says he covets greedily all day long but the righteous gives and does not spare that's the characteristic of Christians they give and they don't spare why because their savior gives and doesn't spare what has Jesus held back from us that's good nothing he's not held back one thing for us that's good God has called us to give he's called us to be generous to be outward in our focus related to everything our time our gifts our money we need to be focused on sowing into eternity all those things Jesus again he said seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things these material things will be added to us now the one thing is that subtle uh, uh, covetousness can be very subtle in our hearts 
Be very careful because it can be there and we don't even rec- really recognize it. And we need to recognize, am I desiring something that, that is clearly not for me? And it could be very, very subtle. It doesn't, it doesn't say only big purchases or big things like homes or Lamborghinis or, you know, islands. You know, people buy islands these days. I can't imagine that. They could reenact Gilligan's Island, I guess, on those. Um, no, you shouldn't do that ever. But um, they shouldn't have done it the first time. <laughs> you know, they should have had that show. But, you know, they, people are wealthy and they want those things. It could be very small things that, that's not, clearly not for us, that God has shown us it's not for us, and it's something that wouldn't be good for us or whatever, and he says we shouldn't have it. So important for us. Verse 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? So this is a context of sacrifice, religious worship or acts of, um, you know, sacrifice to the Lord or whatever. And and not just doing it in a pure heart. Because again, the end of verse 27, he says he brings it with a wicked intent. Well, who knows intent? No one on the outside is going, oh, I can't believe you're bringing this sacrifice to the Lord and your heart's like this. We can't do that. We don't know people's hearts. See, God knows the intent. God sees why we're giving what we're giving or what we're doing as a result of worship. Not just money, but you know, our time, our, our, our service to God's people, all these things, not good deeds that we do. He sees what our intent is. It has to line up with having the right heart. And so much of this has to do with paying God off. We can't pay God off. And if you're from a religious background where you, you are consumed with thinking that I can earn a right standing with God, then you think that I can make up by doing good things. I can make up for my sin. And that's an abomination to God. For one, Jesus took all of your sin and my sin on the cross. So he already paid for that. So any, any way that we can try to pay for our sins, whether it be penance, whether it be you know, righteous deeds that we do, uh, or, you know, now I'm, now I'm going to spend an hour more with you this week, Lord, or I'm going to share my faith more, or I'm going to give financially more, or whatever it is. We cannot do anything to make up for our sin. We can't pay God off, or we can't get him to love us more. Maybe it's not a sin issue. Maybe it's an acceptance issue. You feel like, you know, if I do this for you, God, you're, you, then you'll be obligated to, and we don't maybe not think this consciously, but you'll be obligated to love me more or have favor on me more. We can't bribe God. We can't financially motivate him. What if someone gave, what if your kids came to you wanting to give, if they had money, you know, um, then they, they came to you and said, I'm going to give you so much money to get you to accept me more, love me more. First of all, it, it would break your heart. But secondly, you would say, it's not going to work because it's who you are that I love. It's, it's that you're my child. That, that's the reason why I love you. So we can't, we can't pay God off. You know, we're told in scripture all the times where they were sacrificing animals and all of that according to his um, provision or, or the way that he said to do it, that it was a sweet smelling savor before the Lord. And that in Hebrew means a savor of rest. It means that it blessed his heart. It was restful for him to have them come and offer these things appropriately, biblically, according with the right heart and all these things. And if it wasn't done that way, then it was, um, it, it, didn't, it didn't matter to him. It didn't, it, again, it's not the outward ritual. Our, our flesh loves outward rituals. 
We have to be careful about outward rituals. He wants our hearts. He wants to, uh, us, our hearts to be engaging him uh, with, with everything in us. We can't make up for our sin with worship or service to him and all of that. Again, it's wicked intent when we try to do that. We're basically playing games with the things of him and it, and it grieves his heart. We're told that obedience is better than sacrifice. He'd much rather you just commit to obey him in those things instead of trying to do sacrificial things to make up for it or, or to appease him and all of that. Verse 28, a false witness shall perish, but the man who hears him will speak endlessly. This is, again, the, we've seen this many times in Proverbs. The picture is a courtroom, someone giving false witness against somebody, just like they did against the Lord Jesus. And, and it says, a false witness shall perish, but a man who hears him will speak endlessly. Talking about when someone speaks endless, a, 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 a judge or whatever has a lot to speak falsely when someone speaks falsely as a witness against somebody else now the the judge or the person in charge has a lot to say that is not based in reality verse 29 a wicked man hardens his face but as for the upright he establishes his way so this is maybe their countenance towards other people not having compassion towards them and people can see that on their face uh, I don't know what, exactly what this is talking about, but the point is, is that the wicked man, he doesn't have the right posture or the right attitude or the right disposition towards somebody, but the upright establishes his way. Verse 30, there is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. And, and so someone has said this, um, these are three similar terms used to express wisdom and right knowledge. God is the God of all wisdom and understanding and counsel, so those things are always for him and never against him because those things are dedicated for him and, and meant for him. You know, we, we can't, there's no plans that are going to stand against the Lord. There's no plan, and we're part of that. We're, we're connected to him. Remember when, when the Christians were persecuted, Jesus said to, to Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, you know, why do you persecute me? You know, just to persecute us is to persecute the Lord. So counsel against us is counsel against the Lord. Counsel against the Lord is counsel against us because we're so closely related and identified with him. So all of God's plans will stand and all of man's evil wicked plans against him and us will ultimately fail Paul wrote in Romans he said if God is for us who could be against us the answer is nobody because we we're not he's not on our side we're on his side and because we're on his side we're on the side of truth we're on the side of an almighty all-powerful God who's 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 sovereign over everything and no plans are going to stand uh, against him that's that's for sure. We can't lose, basically, is what he's saying. We can't lose. Nothing's going to stand against us because we're connected and identified with him. Verse 31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. Now, this can be taken from uh, one of two sides. You could be thinking that my horse is prepared for battle, uh, but the deliverance that I get is... In, in my offensive 
towards my enemies or whatever is going to is ultimately from him or you could look at it from the standpoint of somebody coming against us with their horse their their horse is is totally prepared and sufficient and all of that um, but but my deliverance from them is from the Lord and I tend to believe it's probably towards the latter because it's probably connected to verse 30 um, because it's talking about evil plans and counsel and all of that so I believe that this that our enemies can prepare well they can do all the preparations they need, but ultimately we're going to stand because our deliverance is from the Lord. He's faithful. He identifies closely with his sons and daughters that he loves, and he's going to stand up for them, and he's going to be our defense. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for these verses. So much wisdom found in them, Lord. We just pray that you would help us to take these things to heart, not just to gain information, as wonderful as that is, Lord, to know your word. But I pray, Father, for anything that was in your word, Lord, that was convicting. I pray, Lord, that you would bring encouragement to your people, give them hope, give them perspective, Lord. And I just pray you'd help all of us to repent of the things that aren't right and to turn to you and and continuously seek you, commune with you, and receive your power. As we, as we walk with you each moment and each day, Lord, we, we, we want our lives to represent obedience to you, and we want to please you with our lives. And we thank you that we have all the grace and power available from you to be able to do that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.